Uh, would you open your Bible to Romans chapter 1? I'm grateful for Caleb and Cameron being here again to lead us. Um, thank you, guys. Last week, we looked at the Great Commission and, uh, and introduced the idea which, which could be adopted as our mission and purpose statement from that of glorifying God as disciples of Jesus Christ, making disciples of Jesus everywhere. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to walk through, if that's the purpose, then how do we do that? Because we could get excited about the idea of that, but we need some things, we need some points along the way. If that's the end goal, we've got to know what the means is to get there. So that's the mission. We need a means. And so we have, you guys have had in the past, Know, grow, and go. Um, and, and there's various forms of that. Know the gospel, grow in the gospel, go with the gospel. And so, so I want to take what's already been laid, kind of mold it a little bit, um, and, and say, let's use these things to pursue that mission. And, and so today we're going to start with the idea of knowing God. Know God, know the gospel. Uh, so next week, we'll, we'll look at knowing the gospel. The gospel begins with God himself. And, and some have even said, uh, John Piper wrote a book, that God is the gospel. Um, I think that's probably true, but it doesn't begin anywhere else other than with God. And, and so that's what I want us to look at today. The beginning point of glorifying God happens, I think, when we know who God is. I'm an Oklahoma boy born and bred by a Texan and an Oklahoman. Uh, Mom's a Texan. I kind of have rejected that idea. Um, I was born in the wrong state anyway. Um, that's God's sovereign will, and, and I'm grateful for that. If you're a Texan, we love you. <laughs> Oklahoma born and bred. One of the things that one of the activities that our family did as I was growing up, uh, we went to the Great Salt Plains uh, out in northwestern Oklahoma. The Great Salt Plains, if you haven't been there, is basically what it sounds like. It is plains, flat, elevation-changing-less ground, covered in salt, white salt, like a crust of salt, and it just is an expanse um, as you look out. I don't know if I would say as far as the eye could see, but a, a long ways. Uh, and, I mean, as, as barren and as weird of a place as that is, there's no trees, no shade. So if you go there in the summertime like we did, it's hot. And you, there's no escape for it. The only escape that you may have is if you park your car out there, getting inside of your car. That's your shade. Why do you go there? Well, the main reason is digging for crystals. And I think it's either, and I should know this, but I don't, it's either the one place or one out of two places that you can find these particular crystals in all of the world. Uh, they form in the ground there. Uh, and so you go there and you dig for crystals. And, and so we go, and the idea of this as a young kid is kind of like, cool, I guess, 
treasure hunt, let's try it. It's worth a shot. So we go there, and basically the way you do it is you dig a hole deep enough to let the water fill the hole up, and then you use the water as a way to kind of wash through the dirt um, and, and find these crystals. So my experience, you go there, I dug a hole probably 12 inches around, maybe 12 inches deep, 12 to 18, either way. And you find some crystals, um, and you know, they may be about so big by so wide and flat, and they have this like hourglass shape into them from the red dirt that's in there. It, I don't know how they're formed, but that's what they are. Then, as I looked around, there were other people there that had been digging for longer than I had, and they were more serious about it than I was. And they had bigger holes. And they're finding, like, clusters of these crystals. It's not just one crystal, but, like, a cluster of them. And I'm going, wow, how do they do that? Because they're pretty fragile if you're not careful with them. And how are they excavating these clusters and finding these clusters? Well, they're digging a three-foot hole, maybe three feet deep. They're putting more work into it and more effort into it. And I really didn't care that much to go to that extent. I mean, just kind of the surface level, um, finding a few crystals, doing the digging, and then looking for some shade, which wasn't there. When we come to Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, I think what we see is that we treat God in a similar way if we're not careful. Digging into the character and understanding of God takes time and effort and energy and some headaches maybe. And it, we can tend to, as people, settle for a surface level understanding we dig a hole to know him, and, and we find what's in that hole, and we say, that's good enough for me. And then we go about. Rather than investing the time and effort into digging into his character and mining out the complexities and the depths of his nature and his character, we say, what we have is good enough. And then we go about life. And this is pointing us, I think, to the idea that that's not the way that we go about it. There's more than that. So we come to Romans chapter 1 in verse 18. We're going to read 18 through 25. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For because what could be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator 
who is blessed forever. Amen. Let, let me just say, this is not the direction we're going. Just to give you one warning about the pas- this passage and, and really the verses that follow through the end of the chapter. Some people will come to this text and say, from this text, homosexuality is worse than any other sin, and it is the one thing that points to our fallenness and God's judgment on us. That is not what this text is saying, and it should not be used for that. So if you run across that, reject it because it's not in line with the truth of God's word. That's one thing that this rest of this passage mentions that's part of the sin that we engage in as people. One thing in a list of many other things. Um, So don't find yourself in that position. If you want to talk through that, find me later and we'll talk through that. Um, But that's not what this text is getting at. This text is getting at, first, we need to know God. And that's where it begins. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What does that ungodliness and unrighteousness look like? Well, it looks like people know God and then reject him. They get this little bit of knowledge about who God is, and they say, "Mm -mm. mm-mm, I don't care about him. I don't care about worshiping him. I don't care about thanking him. I don't care about honoring him. I don't really care about who he is. I'm going to do my own thing. And it says that God is revealed to them through creation. So anybody at any place at any time, God has revealed himself through creation. And it says specifically in verse 20, his invisible attributes, namely, one, his eternal power, the fact that his power has no end and it has no limit. His eternal power and his divine nature, meaning that his nature goes above and beyond the things that are created, the physical world that we live in and its parameters. His nature, he does not exist within time. He created time and exists outside of time. He is not bound to the laws of gravity or the laws of any other laws that we live under, natural laws. He's over and above those because he created them. His divine nature, meaning that he is divine. He is supernatural. He is God. He is not bound by the things that we are bound by. He is not bound by death as we are. We will die at some point. I'm glad that you're living and breathing right now here. God is not bound by those things. So these things can be clearly perceived in nature. It says in creation. So anybody, regardless of whether they have a Bible or don't have a Bible, they've heard of Jesus or haven't heard of Jesus, anybody in all of time, in any place, can know these things about God. Are you with me? God has clearly shown them to them. And what happens in that process is they see these things about God, and then rather than acknowledging them, they say, that's not for me. They, they turn away from them, and rather than worshiping him, they worship something else. We need to know God. So how much more important is it if those things are revealed simply through creation and nature about God? How much more important is it that we, staring at this book right now, 
and the access that we have about to know about God through what he's revealed in his word, through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, his reigning right now in heaven at God's side reveals something to us about the character and nature of God, that he would come from heaven to earth. It shows his love, his gracious patience towards us, his mercy on us. It reveals his character. How much more responsible are we to know him and behold him and respond to him with the amount of revelation that we have? So we need not take this and say, I have bits and pieces and set it aside and I'm good to know God this much. I hope that, and if you can't agree with this, I would like to convince you to agree with this. We could spend our entire life, any of our lives, however long that is, mining God's word to know him and to know about him and still not exhaust everything that's here. So we have work to do. If we're going to know God, that doesn't end at any point in our life. We don't get to the point where we hang up that pursuit and say, I know enough about God now. I'll just enjoy that. We keep coming back to his word. We keep coming back to know him. Just like in marriage. If I get to the point with Sandy, by the way, my wife is Sandy. If I get to the point with Sandy where I go, hey, babe, love you, enjoy you, I don't really need to know anything else about you. I'm good. So let's just live the next 30 years. Don't really tell me anything more. I got it all. All that I need, I know, and we're good. Like, if you've not been married for very long, don't adopt that mindset. If you have been married for a long time and you've forgotten that and you've kind of fallen into that, reject that mindset. Like, you need to know your spouse. Your spouse needs to know you. It's Marriage is a lifetime built on knowing one another, our goods and our not-so-goods, because we all have those sides. We've got to know each other. We've got to know God. God is not the same way in that, that he has a not-so-good side and a good side. He's all good, and he's all great. We need not get to the point where we say, man, I have enough. I don't need to know more. And I think the thing we need to understand is that knowing with our mind and our brain is where that begins. But knowing God is more than just knowing about Him. It's not less than knowing about Him. It begins with knowing about Him, but then it begins, becomes more than that. And I think these verses point to that. Although they knew God, they knew who he was, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their minds changed, right? They began to think about other things. They began to think, it says, in futile ways. Became futile in their thinking. Their thinking didn't produce anything futile. Like, Oklahoma City, uh, I don't like this example, but we'll go with it. Oklahoma City Thunder trying to win a championship. If you don't know anything about Thunder basketball, not in a great spot, we're not in a terrible spot. The idea of us winning a championship this year is probably not within grasp. So that pursuing that and thinking, we're going to do all of this to try to win a championship, you don't give up. 
but probably those efforts are not going to pan out. What, there's, what this is saying is that our thinking, when we reject the idea and understanding of God, or we limit that, our thinking becomes, without power, it becomes useless. Our aim is to know Him. So it, it becomes with the mind, but then it, it points to they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their hearts. The heart here is not only, it's basically where the mind meets life, action. It's, it's the desires, it's our motivations, it's our actions, it's our attitudes. The heart is the seat of all of that and the source of all of that. So as we lose our thoughts about God and we hang up knowing Him and responding to Him, it affects not only our thinking, but it affects our life. It affects our desires. It affects our motivations. It affects how we treat each other. It affects the things that we say. It changes our hearts. Our hearts become darkened. So it is a pursuit of the mind to know God, but knowing about God leads us to know Him relationally also. So here's how I would maybe point to this idea, this whole concept. Star Wars. I'm not like a Star Wars geek, Star Wars nerd. There's nothing wrong with Star Wars. Some of you are big fans, probably. Some of you could care less. Some of you probably have not even seen one of the movies. Here's what I do know about Star Wars. It's a very complicated world. It is a world in and of itself that's been created. Somebody like me, a casual observer, could watch Star Wars I could appreciate it for what it is. Probably one of my favorites, Return of the Jedi, episode six, I think. Uh, the Ewoks, man, those dudes are so cute. So, like, they're probably one of my favorite parts. The, the racer things that they're on, see this, I, I begin to show my limit of Star Wars knowledge. The, they're, okay, like Luke Skywalker's going through the trees on this, like, floating motorcycle is what I think of it as. And I don't, some type of cruiser, I think, um, and there's stormtroopers that are on it, they're chasing him, the Ewoks are helping him defeat the stormtroopers in this chase. Probably one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Clearly, I'm not a Star Wars geek or nerd, because I don't even know what some of these things are called, but it's enjoyable, okay? I can enjoy it, and I could say, hey, you should probably sit down and watch it, you might enjoy it. It's kind of long, but the people who really appreciate Star Wars, I think, man, they know the planets, they know the characters, they know the storyline and how things connect with each other. Like, they're real excited about the Mandalorian coming out this year uh, because it gives the whole backstory on the Mandalorian, uh, which I don't even know what that is. Um, but like all of this stuff, and as they grow to understand it and know it, they appreciate it more and more. Somebody who, who doesn't care basically sees it and goes, maybe they start with episode four and go, eh, it's not for me. They hang it up and they're done. N not to watch any more movies. That's kind of the picture that this is painting with God. The more that we see Him and the more that we know Him and the more detail that we're exposed to from Him, the more that we experience relationship with Him. That we not only know about his love, but we know his love because we've been shown it. And we not only know about his grace, but then when we trust Christ, we experience his grace and new life through him. And as we know more about him, we experience relationship with him more, and then we're more sold on him. 
And it leads to the thing that in this passage is rejected. It leads us to the second thing. It leads us to worship God, to glorify Him, to make, him, make much of Him. See, we can't pursue knowledge of God and leave it just in knowledge. That's not the end goal. The end goal is as we know about God and then we experience relationship with Him, it leads to worship of Him. And that's what it says in this passage about people who know God simply through creation and then reject Him before they even know anything else. Verse 22 says, Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Rather than worshiping Him, and it points to that earlier in this passage, for what could be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. So rather than responding to what they know about God and worship of him and pursuing more, they said, eh, not for me. They turn and rather than worshiping God, they worship something lesser than God, created things, idols, whatever. And as I say that, I think that in, maybe even in this room there's a temptation to go, ah, but that's not us. See, we don't have metal things that we bow down to and worship idols, right? So we, that's not us. And yet, it is us. Whether it's a little metal figurine that represents some god or an image of god or it's simply me or some material possession a house or a car or a career or a title on a business card it could be family see we are prone to worship other things besides God and therefore I think to one extent or another each of us has an idol or idols in our life that we are at least tempted to worship. Prior to putting faith in Jesus, this is the picture of anybody and everybody. This is the entire problem. Is that even if it's simply, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to pursue what I want, when I want, to whatever extent I want, with whoever I want, whatever the results are. When I follow me and my desires, that's me worshiping me and my desires. I'm, I'm pursuing everything about me. I am my God and my happiness, my fulfillment is my idol. And so I'm going to pursue whatever that is that will fulfill me. That is exactly what this is pointing to. It doesn't have to be a metal image. But when we worship something rather than God, and it doesn't simply mean that we sing songs to this thing. Especially in this setting, we can equate worship with singing. It's not singing. It's not just singing. We can sing and worship. And it's a great thing. But worship is more than singing. So it's not just, oh, I don't sing songs to anybody else or anything else, so I, I'm not in this. No, no. It's offering our affections, our energies, our time, our pursuit to something that's not God. 
to some end that is not God. That is how we worship. So rather than knowing God and responding in worship, our tendency as people and as human beings born into sin is to know God and see God and reject worship and worship something else. This is the travesty of our universe. There is nothing higher than God. There is nothing that brings more satisfaction than God. There is nothing that brings more joy than God. There is nothing that brings more anything. There's nothing that deserves more worship because if there was something imperfect about God, if there was something that was more than Him, whatever that is, God would not be God. That thing would be God. God must be the pinnacle of all things, or He's not God. If there's something better than Him in any area or any idea, then God is not God. And if God is God, that means He is the highest and best of any category that we could enter into that. And then us worshiping anything besides Him or anyone besides Him means that we're worshiping something lesser. And the thing that God, the way that God brings judgment on us for that, I think is worth pointing out. So when we fail to worship God, the, these verses begin with, for the wrath of God is revealed. I think a lot of times we think of the wrath of God. Let me back up. I don't want to put words in your mouth. When I think of the wrath of God, if you just ask me to picture it in a movie, the movie scene would be people on earth and like, hailstones of fire falling on us and destroying like when if i were to picture like one picture of the wrath of god that's what it would be like stones of fire falling things being destroyed the wrath of god when this says the wrath of god is revealed from heaven it's not talking about stones of fire falling and destroying everything it's really quite interesting what this passage points to as the wrath of god Look at verse 24. Because of all these things, because they know God and they fail to worship Him, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring their body among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Basically what it's saying is, God just let them have their way. He just let them go about their business and do what they were going to do and worship what they were going to worship and follow after what they were going to follow after. And that is God's wrath on us. When God does not step in and offer correction to us, that is his wrath being poured out. When he lets you or me just go about our business and go about our way and live our life, it's his wrath being played out. He says, that's what you want, you got it. It's kind of like a parent with kids. We can step in and correct action with our kids. And that's the loving thing to do. I heard Caleb mention in uh, the verse in Hebrews, and I, I can't remember the address of this, uh, the idea that God steps in and offers discipline to those whom he loves. 
as parents, if we let our kids just act out and rebel and don't offer any correction, don't offer any change, don't offer any punishment, don't offer any consequences, that's the unloving thing to do. We're just letting them go about their business. That's what you want? You got it. You just see where that lets you end up. God's wrath is given to us in the form of letting us live our life the way that we want to live it and not stepping in, not bringing conviction, not calling us to repentance, not saying, no, 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 change your way of thinking, change your way of living, and turn around and follow me. The wrath of God is revealed as he lets us go about our business. So this offers, this is the kind of the negative picture of what we're talking about, knowing God and worshiping him. What this passage is pointing to is that people know God, and rather than worshiping, they rebel, and God lets them, and lets them stay in that. Our call is we think about how does this fulfill glorifying God as disciples of Jesus, making disciples of Jesus. The positive side of that is that we see God and we know God and we respond in worship, that it leads us to a desire to glorify Him. That we can't wait to come together on Sunday morning to sing together, to enjoy one another's company, to pray together, to hear God's Word, because it will lead us to understand Him more and glorify Him more. Like, that's the positive side of this. And so, and I think all of us have been in this situation before, myself included. We've been in a setting. Either we're reading a book, we're reading an article, we're listening to somebody talk, we're listening to a sermon, or whatever it is. And we go, man, that is too deep. That's too much. I'm out. We all have different learning capacities, yes. If we ever find ourselves in a position where we say, you guys are getting too deep for me, I'm out. God, you're too big for me, I'm out. That's too complicated for me, I'm out. That just makes, trying to think about that makes my head hurt. I don't want to do that. Listen, for us to know God and to continue to know him We're going to have to be willing to endure a little bit of headache. Like God is big and he's complicated and and his character is, is vast and it's difficult to wrap our minds around, but it's important for us to wrap our minds around it because changing our thinking and thinking about God is what leads us to see him and worship him. And so we can't get to the point where we say, that's too much, I'm out, I'm good with this little bit that I understand. Yes, some of us can wrap our minds around less than others can. And so that's not saying that all of us need to be on the same level and know every little bit about every little piece of theology about God. And that if you struggle, you're somehow less, than a Christian, less of a Christian or less of a worshiper of God because you can't grasp what somebody else can grasp. The point is not that we're all grasping the same things about God. The point is that wherever you're at in your ability to understand, wherever you're at in your seeking understanding, that you don't settle for that. 
that you don't get to the point where you say, this is enough, I don't need any more. So whether, to relate it back to the beginning story, whether your understanding of God is the 12 by 12 hole, if that's, if that's challenging to you, and that pushes you to know God to your ability, then man, dig that 12 by 12 hole and mine it for everything that it's worth and never settle for it. If you can grasp more than that because you have the time or because you have the mental capacity, then digging a 12 by 12 hole is not enough for you. You need more. And so you dig a bigger hole and you try to understand more and you do that throughout your life and I do that throughout my life. And we continue to add to our knowledge and understanding of God because unless we agree, unless we agree to disagree, that this has an unlimited amount that we can understand about God. If this is limited in what we can understand, then at some point we're going to get to the point where we stop knowing about God. I, I hope we can agree that that's not the case. So we pursue to know God as much and as deep as we can know Him. And we never stop. When you get to the point where you're encountered with knowledge about God that leads you to a headache, and you say, I, don't, I can't get that. That's too much. That's too big. That means you need to stop right there, and you need to spend some time churning on that. And if you still can't get it, if it's still giving you a headache, you need to go to somebody and say, man, this thing, I'm not, I'm not getting it. I need help. Somebody that you're confident that can help you to understand that. Man, headaches, when it comes to knowing God, headaches are good. It just means that it it's going to take a little more time to sink in. The, the dirt is a little bit harder. It's going to take a little heavier weight on the shovel or, or something along those lines. But never get to a point where you say, it's enough, I don't need any more, I'm done, I'm good. Know God, worship Him, and then make Him known. And that's exactly what this points to, the last thing. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That means the things that can be known about God, the truth about God, when they engage in unrighteousness and ungodliness, when they see God and know God and don't worship Him, they worship something else, what they're doing is suppressing the truth about God. It means that they're somehow shadowing or hiding or they're not making known what is true about God. They're doing the opposite of making it known. So when you and I fail to know God and then fail to worship Him, it affects our lives it affects our thinking, and then by living, we are not making known His truth. Or to say it a different way, the way that you live has the ability to either make God known, to evidence Him in your life, or to not evidence Him in your life. And there's not a middle ground in that. As you act, as you speak, the decisions that you make, the relationships you form, and how you walk those relationships out are either pointing to the truth about God or they're leading people away from the truth about God, suppressing the truth about God in unrighteousness and ungodliness. 
So the positive end of that is that we know God, we worship Him, and that through that we desire to make Him known. We desire to show Him visually and then verbally speak about Him around us to other people and thereby seeking to make disciples of others. Or, on the negative side, we see God, we know Him, we fail to worship Him, we limit our knowledge of Him, and then in so doing, we are choosing not to make Him known. And we're basically choosing to keep people from knowing Him. Now, with that said, God is bigger than our sin, and you and I can live our lives in such a way that fails to make Him known, and yet God will make Himself known. It will just not be through us. And he'll let us go about our way. So it's not a question of, are you going to keep God from being known? God's going to be known. It's a matter of, are you going to worship him as you ought and be part of the process of making him known and letting him use you to make him known? Know God, worship him, and make him known. Here's what I want to leave you with. Uh, Saturday, we were at a wedding. Yesterday, that is, I guess. You guys, I think, have all been to a wedding. You're familiar with weddings, how we do them. Okay. Generally, you've got the, the groomsmen and the groom up on the stage. Probably the officiant is up there. And then the bridal processional comes down. Bridesmaids come down. Uh, and because they're the pretty ones and us guys up here are take or leave, um, they get the big entrance, and that's how it should be. Right, and so they come down, and then after the bridesmaids, the ring bearer, the flower girl comes down, right, preparing the way for the bride. And the bride gets ready. Generally, you shut the doors, leave some suspense, right, and then the doors swing, and the bride comes in. So Audrey's flower girl in this wedding. She comes down. I'm at the back making sure that there's no meltdown before she starts to come down the aisle. And then once she's coming down and everything's good, I just kind of slip into the side and come and take a seat. So how wrong would it be if as the attention is the people coming down the aisle, I slip in on the side and go over. I'm a nobody. I mean, I'm dressed in a suit and a shirt, but... It doesn't matter, right? I slip in on the side, and rather than focusing the attention on the main thing coming down the aisle, whether it's the bridesmaids or the flower girl or the bride, everybody's looking. What if everybody turns and looks at me over on the side and watches me walk down and take my seat? And they're in awe, and all the while, coming through the doors down the aisle is the bride, and because everybody's eyes are on me, they miss the main thing. Like, that's a travesty. I'm a nobody guest. I'm not part of the show, and I'm definitely not the show. I think if we're not careful, that's what our lives can turn into. God is the show. God is the main thing. And knowing Him is the main thing. Worshiping Him because of that is the main thing. And then making Him known. So what if we take the main thing, we take our focus and our mind off the main thing, and we turn our focus to something that's lesser, and we pay our attention and our mind and our life to that, rather than keeping our sights set on the main thing? That's 
travesty. And that's what causes a world to look in at us who claim to be worshipers of God, who claim to be followers of Jesus, and say, your life doesn't even evidence it. And maybe they don't know you're not worshiping by the way you live. Maybe they can't put it in those terms, but that's the problem. We're not worshiping by the way that we live. We don't know God and worship Him and make Him known through that. We see God and we limit our knowledge and we fail to worship. And then the world looks in and goes, what's the big deal? Because we're not, the main thing isn't the main thing. Knowing Jesus and putting our faith in Him is is the beginning of that. And it's not anything less than that. May we never come to the point where we say, I know Jesus, my sins are taken care of, that's all I need. We need to know God in His depth, in His fullness, over the entire course of our lives, so that it leads us to worship Him and continues to deepen that worship of Him. And through that, we make Him known so that we glorify him as disciples of Jesus, making disciples of Jesus everywhere. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is true, that you are good, that we can never get to the point of knowing you fully. And God, may we never get to the point where we stop trying. God, may we not use our limitations as an excuse to give up knowing you more. God, may we endure some headaches. May we endure some struggles of putting pieces together about you. God, and may we work not only individually, but together to help one another, help each other to know you. And then, as we know you, to worship you in depth and in fullness. And then as we live our lives in worship to make you known in the process. God, and may we not ignore your revelation, worship something else or someone else, and suppress your truth. God, may you be glorified in us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.